Now the angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go towards the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Cordius, queen of Ethiopia, who was in charge of all her treasure, treasury. So. He had come to Jerusalem to worship, and he was returning. Seated in his chariot, he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, Go over and join his chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this, Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life was taken from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does this prophet say this? About himself or someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth and began with the scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptised? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptised him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself in as it does. And as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Well, we're continuing uh, through the book of Acts. Uh, and as you know, uh, we've said from the start that the book of Acts could be described as the acts of the Holy Spirit through the church, the Holy Spirit's been working through the people and we see more of that today and um, I'm going to make three points in this message just so you know but I'm not going to tell you until the very last bit of my message so just keep you in suspense, how about that? But that's all there and um, we met Philip a few weeks ago uh, along with Stephen who was martyred uh, couple of weeks ago, well not a couple of weeks ago but you know in our messages and uh, Philip was another one of those chosen to give out food, the food ministry but obviously he did more than that along with Stephen he was also uh, out preaching the gospel and at the start of chapter 8 as uh, you might have heard from Rob last week he was in Samaria and he was preaching the gospel and doing wonderful signs God was doing through him there and then Philip was told by an angel to go south to the Jerusalem-Gaza road. He wasn't told what for. He was just told by an angel, go down to that road. So off he went to that road. And pretty soon along comes a uh, carriage, a chariot, and it's got a very important uh, man in there. Um, he is from Ethiopia. Uh, he's a, a eunuch, we're told. He handled the money for Queen 
Candace of Ethiopia. Now, Ethiopia is kind of in, it's similar to where it is today. It's in the northern area of modern Ethiopia, the southern area of Egypt. And um, the Ethiopians at that time, the kings, were worshipped as children of the sun. That's, that was their beliefs. So they never lowered themselves to do any of the normal duties like handling the money and stuff like that. And that job was often passed on to, or was passed on, to the mother of the king. The king's mum handled the finances. And, um, and her name was Candace, not because that was her name. Candace. Candace was what the, the mother of the king was called. That was the Candace, if that makes sense. So they were all called Candace. It made things easier to remember their names. Uh, that was the title. Now this, so this eunuch was the, the head worker for Candace, or the Candace, in charge of the treasury. So he was greatly respected. He was an important figure. Uh, but he was a eunuch. A eunuch means, in your term, a steer. He'd, he'd, had, he'd been done. That's quite simply it. Um, so it's not just in our age that people's flesh is mutilated because of the culture. Okay? There's always been a bit of that. I'm just putting that simply. Uh, but this man was also a follower of God. And we understand that he was a Jew. Uh, it doesn't mean he was necessarily a native of Israel because, as we saw on the day of Pentecost, there's a whole lot of proselytes, people who converted to Judaism from other nations. Uh, so he's probably a native of Ethiopia. But he'd been to the temple to worship. And what that means, quite simply, is he'd been there and it would mean an animal has been sacrificed in his place. Uh, and, and therefore, because he, he would go to the temple to worship, but you can't worship God unless you've got no sins. Yep. So he has an animal killed, and that, uh, and he confers by placing his hand on the head of that animal, his sins onto that animal. That animal dies for his sins, uh, or as a representation of that, and then he can meet with and worship the living God. It's true, it hasn't changed for us, by the way. No one here can worship God unless you've got no sins. Zero, zilch. Right? And we know that that happens through Jesus. Is that true? Okay, so he's been up to worship. Uh, He's obviously a dedicated Jew. So much so that he's reading the prophet Isaiah as he would have been a scroll, not understanding what he's reading. uh, Because... Do you remember any of you before you was a Christian trying to read the Bible? And, 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 what it, and you, you get these little moral points and these little... You get nothing. You get nothing without the Holy Spirit. So he's riding along, he's reading the Bible, he doesn't have the Holy Spirit, so he can't understand what he's reading. He doesn't even know, who's he talking about? I don't, I don't get it. And he's reading a passage which we know to be fulfilled in Jesus... A great passage about the cross. I I know we've read it this morning, but I'm going to read it again. Just from Isaiah 53 verse 4. He says, Surely he, which we know to be Jesus, took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. So he he was under the punishment of God. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed. For our iniquities. Can you see? He for us. He for us. The punishment that brought us peace, us peace, sorry, was upon him. 
And by his wounds, we are healed. We, like sheep, have gone astray, each turning to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of, all, of, of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before a shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgression of my people. He was stricken. Now, if you're, if you're someone who likes talking about Jesus and you find someone reading that passage, it's like, bingo, hey, <laughs> where do I start? Um, that's easy. Okay. This passage, it, it, it uh, speaks of what Jesus has done in our place, bearing the sin of the world, bearing the punishment of God for our sins. And so Philip uh, speaks the gospel to him. Okay. But you see, without the Holy Spirit, this bloke can't understand that this is talking about Jesus. It's just, it's just words. Philip says, do you understand what you're reading? He says, I can't without someone explaining it to me. And then uh, the, it's revealed. We visited a lady in Wakery last week, uh, last, well, two days ago. She's 99 and nine months or ten months, eleven months. She's about two weeks off turning a hundred. She used to uh, uh, have a role in a church years ago and, and she told us a story some time ago. She was in a place called Broken Hill and she was riding along with her bike and suddenly God put on her mind, go and visit this lady. Go and visit this lady. So she turned around her bike, went a different direction and she went there and this, she found this lady who had just started coming to church, sitting at her table with her Bible open going, oh, I'm so glad you come because I just prayed that God would send someone to help me understand what I'm reading. Isn't that cool? But you see in this, we, we love to be independent people. God, God will show me it all. I don't need someone to teach me, do I? I don't need, I know all the, I can find it out myself. No, God actually uses Christians to speak to non Christians and to Christians. Isn't that cool? It seems like a simple point, but it's a big point. We speak the word of God to one another and we speak to non Christians as God sends us. God sent Philip to be his mouthpiece. To proclaim the truth of Jesus. Um, so this man is, is explained the good news. And um, Philip was able to, I'm sure, explain that the fulfilment of the Old Testament. You're a Jew, you believe Isaiah. See, this is fulfilled in Jesus. God sent his son to take uh, the wrath of God against our sin and, and uh, the, to speak that gospel to him. Now, I want to say it again. Peter speaks. He answers. He explains. He teaches. I, we hear this statement. I've heard it many times. Preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. Kind of know what they're saying, hey? Yep. God has made a way for people to believe. 
It's through words spoken. You get that? Yep. How can they believe unless someone preaches to them or proclaims to them? That's what Paul says in Romans 10. It's through our words that other people will believe. I would say this. Preach the gospel and if necessary use actions. No, no, of course. (laughs) There's going to be actions. Preach the gospel and if necessary use actions consistent with the words that you're preaching. But there will be words. Actually, God is the speaking God. You get that very, very start. Genesis. God spoke and things happened, right? He speaks words. And those words are intelligible because they're written in our Bibles, right? And then at the, he spoke through Moses. He said, Moses, you'll be my prophet. Uh, you'll speak the words that I tell you. And then he spoke the Ten Commandments and all the people heard it. They heard the voice of God in their ears. Because God speaks words that are understandable, you see. And then the words of the prophets are God speaking. Yeah? And then he used the New Testament writers speak God's word. He speaks through his people. That's cool, isn't it? Should should be a little bit interesting. If you're one of God's people, that is. That might mean that God speaks through you. Don't get all hopeful. No, he will. Hebrews 1 says, in the, past, in the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times in various ways. He spoke to the, the earlier people through prophets and other ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us, how? By his son. By his son. Huh? Because as we speak, Jesus is with us and Jesus speaks through us. Yep. Whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. The Son, that's Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on heaven. What I'm saying is this. As we speak, God speaks. That's the way God has set things up. That's the way. Because he is the speaking God, but he has chosen this. They will not believe unless they're taught. Unless they're spoken to. Spoken the gospel. So we are a people who speak the word of God. I, I know I'm, I'm hammering a point which might seem really minuscule, except for maybe I'm hammering it because often we don't. Yep. Often we don't speak to one another with the gospel. Often we don't speak to non-Christians. Often with non-Christians we feel far more comfortable doing nice works. Which is good. Except for the moment comes where we open our mouth and speak about Jesus. And we have a promise that if we do speak, some will believe. And uh, sometimes we get a bit worried that uh, some won't believe. Um, but God always works. His power is always there. The gospel has the power of God for salvation. 
That's what Paul tells us. The gospel is the power of God's salvation. Okay. Now, by the way, I, I didn't... I, I, I didn't I, I, it, it doesn't go into an argument about mutilated flesh, by the way, because, you see, we have a lot of that going on in our society. We've got a lot of stuff ringing in our ears about trans whatevers. Okay? And that's horrible and it's sinful and all of that, but what do we speak into that? Jesus Christ. Yeah? That's what we speak. When we're faced with all sorts of evil, do we become those who stand on our podium and speak about speak against sin without proclaiming Jesus? We don't. We proclaim him. Philip preaches to this eunuch about Jesus Christ. The eunuch believes. But notice this. I want you to see the power of God in this. He believes, he's baptised, and then God moves Philip on. He's left just with the Scriptures and the Holy Spirit and heading for home. You see, the power of God means God will keep his own people. God keeps, you know what I mean by keep? He keeps them secure in him. Yep. He uses us, but you see, he is the the master behind this. He keeps people in the faith. His is the power. Are you such a person that stresses that someone will fall away? Yeah? Or stresses about your family. Will they remain Christians? Will they ever believe? Have they, when they do believe, then you might be that person that says, but have they really believed? Or maybe put it in more theological, maybe you're thinking like this. How can we tell if they're really predestined? Do we know that? Know this. God is the one who keeps people. He's happy to evangelise an Ethiopian and then send Philip on his way and send, we're assuming, an Ethiopian we never hear of again off as a Christian. God leads people. If, 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 if he's predestining, he's working, he's keeping, he's securing. That's not actually our job. We have a place to do what Philip does. We speak the word of Christ. And we can trust God because God is good and also because God has the power to do what he, what he pleases with us. That's all we need to know. And by the way, he does what's right. He's just alone. He alone is good. He alone knows what needs to be done. Uh, a few months ago, part of a series, I think we did one, and I've probably said this before, but uh, it was about how can you tell if you're really a Christian or something like that, had enough to really saved. And uh, Matt was preparing for that, and he asked me this question, how do you know you're a Christian? What gives you security? And I said, the reason I know I'm secure in my faith is because I'm a Christian. And, I, what, and I, when I'm explaining this, I might want to try and sound dumb. Everything is against me being a Christian. I've been a Christian for... 31 years, it must be, 31 years, right? Um, Everything has been against me ever since the start. When I say everything, I mean my sinful nature has always driven me in a different direction, yeah? And the world is always pulling me in a different direction. The devil's at it all the time in my life, pulling me in a different... The miracle is that I'm a Christian and I know that that's God who's held me because I tell you, If it was up to my mind, I would have gone every direction ever since. 
God has held me. Do you understand? God is the one who keeps us. And he's trustworthy for keeping us. Yep. It's the power of God that keeps us as Christians. The power of the gospel. Both to convert and to keep, to hold us in the faith. So, Philip, oh, let's just say God is happy to leave the Ethiopian on his way. He's not leaving him, he's with him. Do you understand that? It's God's power. And so they're going past some water, and uh, oh, that's right, and, and Philip says, Look, I've just got to go to the elders and check about this baptism thing. Um, and by the way, have you done Christianity Explained? He needs to do that. He's flawed, is it? One of those two. He's got to do either one of those courses. Actually, no, he just seems to get baptised, doesn't he? There's some water. Let's baptise him. And on our way. I, don't, I think baptism is a great celebration for the church. Don't get me wrong. But we must not get too hung up on the how and the where and the when and by whom it's done and how it's done. Okay? Because... Uh, it's what God, baptism is a symbol of what God has done already in someone's life. When a person believes in Jesus and they want to be baptised, baptise them. Alright? That's a bit dangerous, isn't it? In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Okay. Does baptism save? No, it's God who saves. Baptism doesn't save. We all know people who have been baptised and who aren't Christians. Actually, there's been one in chapter 8, the same chapter, hasn't there? Simon the sorcerer was baptised. Was that by Philip too? <laughs> and turns out he's pretty mixed up in the head. Not a Christian. That's not our job. Okay? Baptism doesn't save. Baptism is about a person baptised into the death and resurrection of Jesus. Right? It's about what God has done for them already. They've been baptised by God into the death and resurrection of Jesus by the Holy Spirit. And if that's a sort of person, then, then, then baptise them. But we are not the Inquisition, you know, the ones who... Well, hang on, hang on. We can't do that because this is actually about God. Now, I'm going to go on a tangent here. I'm very sorry, but it's just something we ask. So if someone could look at verse 37 of chapter 8. Uh, I want to see, uh, this has got a point in here. And the point is, we want to make sure that this Ethiopian was really converted. You see what verse 3 is? Oh, it's not there. Okay, good point. Why is there no verse 37? Has someone butchered the Bible? Right. Some manuscripts you'll have in your footnote include this bit here, where Philip said... Because he said, why can't I be baptised? And Philip says, if you believe with all of your heart, you may. And the eunuch answered, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Okay, this is a point because a lot of times, especially if you're reading 30 second things on Instagram about the Bible, you'll find there's a verse missing here. That's because whoever they are are trying to get rid of, you don't have to believe in Jesus. Actually, it's other parts in the Bible where it says you have to believe in Jesus. But... Why is this so? I'm going to just do this quickly. What happened is Mark wrote Mark. People copied out Mark. People copied out Mark. People copied out Mark. This happened with every book in the Bible. But 
sometimes Mark short, there's a short bit and Matthew has a bit longer bit. And someone else is going, hang on, I thought it had an extra bit in there. And they wrote it in there as they handed it on to their friends. And they went on. So what has happened over the years is you get the first bit Mark wrote and then you got the ones that copied and the ones that copied and the ones that copied. And when people uh, put together, say, the King James Version of the Bible, they used Greek translations which are mostly from around the 1000 AD time. They used, but what happened is over time people found older manuscripts that were a little bit shorter. They had bits... Um, uh, that, that just, so, so what they said is, well, surely the older stuff is the more reliable. The older it gets, the closer you get towards the point. And um, so they found bits of John's Gospel that it, from 120 AD. And he died about 95 or something. So pretty close to when he was written. That would be reliable, wouldn't you think? More reliable than one that's 1000 BC. Now that's not to say that anything in the editions is actually ever wrong. It's just people wanted to make sure, hey, if you're going to baptise someone, make sure they believe in Jesus. We just put that in there to help people along, you know, and to be sure. So there's nothing wrong with it. There's no, there's no problem in those words. But what I'm saying is that what scientists, biblical scientists who have believe now is that the Bible that we have without verse 37 is 99.9% true to the pen of the author, the guy who wrote it. That's, that's how accurate they can be. So if anyone says, oh, they're trying, to, they're trying to mess with your mind, they're leaving out bits of the Bible, it's like there are other places in each of our ones that says you need to believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, like Romans 10, 9, okay? and that, you, that Jesus is the Son of God. So it's not a conspiracy by some Bible translators. It's actually a desire to be very, very accurate to what the writer wrote. That's my tangent. It's important to know. Okay. So we don't go on an inquisition when someone says they believe in Jesus and they want to be baptised. They baptise. Okay, because you can't know and we will never know what's actually going on in a person's heart or mind. And you don't know their future either because God is at work with them into the future. His is the power and his is the knowledge and we need to know this. The gospel is actually the right thing to proclaim, to speak. That's point one. We need to know that. The gospel is the right thing to speak. Point two is the gospel is powerful. Yep. That's my main two points, but I'm going to have three at the end, so that's all right. Okay. Then they come up out of the water. The Spirit of the Lord took Philip away. There's a Greek word which means he was forced or seized away. Whatever that looks like, we don't know. But he turned up. Suddenly he appears somewhere else preaching the gospel and everyone thought, cool. Um, we don't understand what happened there. But anyway, he went on preaching. I want to finish with this. Three questions, and I really do want you to remember these and think on them as you go home. The first one's simple. Do you believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the right message for you to believe in? Do you believe, do you believe in Jesus Christ? Do you believe in what he's done for you? Point one. Question two, 
Do you believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the right message for you to speak to others? Do you actually believe that? Because uh, if you don't, like I don't, lots of times, it's probably because you're wondering. But I think the point three is where I most don't speak. Do you believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ carries with it the power of God to save others? When, when you don't believe that, you won't speak it, right? You'll speak something else or you'll do something else. Do you believe that God is actually going to work through your words? What's point one? Do you believe, that Jesus, do you believe the gospel of Jesus Christ? Do you believe? Are you, are you a Christian? Do you believe, point two, that this is the message for you to speak to others? And point three, do you believe that that message, as you speak, it carries the power of God? I really want you to think about that and I'm going to pray. Father, we thank you for what you have uh, done for us through Jesus. We thank you that you have presented us with the truth of the forgiveness of sins, of Jesus bearing our sins that we deserve to take. We deserve the punishment and you've taken it. We thank you for that message. And Father, I pray that you will cause that, mercy, that message to burn in our souls, to burn in our brains and to burn in our lips that we would speak. I pray that where we are people and we are all the time who get tongue-tied or hold back, that you would give us a great confidence in your gospel, that we would be those who speak. And Father, I pray also that you would bear much fruit through our words in your power, that you would cause people to come to faith through us and also that you would cause people to be encouraged and brought assurance and surety through our words. I pray for our families, for our children as we speak the word of Christ to them, that you would give us an ongoing knowledge in your power and a trust in your power to convert them so that we would speak. I pray that you would give opportunities to speak to our children, to our parents, to our friends. That you would cause times where people are ripe for the picking, like this Ethiopian was. And I pray that our trust would quite simply be in you and in your son, in all things. In Jesus' name. Amen.